So before I became a pastor, I was an engineer. And as an engineer, I went to school and they taught us about this thing called restorative forces or a restoring force. And a restoring force is what makes cars work. It makes the universe function. They're really important and you can use them to design things, all right? So the simplest example of a restorative force is a rubber band. When a rubber band is sitting on a countertop, it is at its optimum. It's at shalom. It's not stressed out. It's not worried. It likes that. But if you pick up that rubber band and you stretch it, it does not like that. And so when you let it go at your parent's eyeball, it hits them, falls back down to the ground. And what shape is it again? Original shape. Why? Because that's where it wants to be. So the force you put on a rubber band is just giving it a restorative force. It wants to get back to this shape, this function. That's what it wants to do. All right. When you push a child on a swing, you push them. They don't swing up and stay up there, do they? No, they come back down because gravity now is acting as a restorative force. It wants to bring that child back down to shalom, back down to its right spot. Trees fight restorative forces their whole life. They grow up and up and up and up. And one day the restorative forces win, right? Usually with a chainsaw and they come down and gravity grins because it wins again. Okay, those are all restorative forces. It wants to bring things to a restorative shalom purpose place that they're at rest. That's restorative forces. There are social restorative forces. So young people just graduated and they're 18 and they're full of like this, uh, and so they want to leave Grants Pass and they move to like Portland, right? What happens to them in two years? There's a restorative force, right? Man, yeah, Portland was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, expensive and a little weird. I got tired of riding my bike everywhere and living in a tiny, tiny Lego home singing everything is awesome. So I'm back. And I like it here. That's a restorative force, right? Social restorative force. Chapter 18 is this. God is acting as a restorative force. There are some things that are out of balance, stress, strain, disjointed. And so what God's going to do in this chapter is he's going to say, I'm going to restore things to shalom, to joy, to proper function. All right? It's a brilliant chapter. It's really, as we'll see at the end, kind of interesting as a chapter, the information it has. So it begins with God showing up with two companions eating a meal with Abraham. Now in your brain, you should be like, what? Because Exodus 33 and 34, God says this to Moses, nobody can see me and live. So what in the world happened in chapter 18? It's one of these kind of enigmatic text that you've got to figure out what happened in this chapter. We'll do that on Wednesday. But after they have this meal, they eat together. Then here's what happens. We'll pick it up. Verse nine. They said to him that they there, Yahweh, two companions. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Let's be honest. 
every single one of us would do the same thing. God shows up, he's eating a meal with your husband. You're gonna listen at the tent. Like what in the world are they talking about, right? The president has a meal with your family. You're not invited. What are you gonna be doing? You're gonna be pasted right at the door, right? Being arrested by the CIA or whoever. So that's, she's doing what everyone's gonna do. What, are, what is going on in there? So she's listening. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, 99 and 90, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At this time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> what a fantastic story. Like you read this, you're just like, oh my goodness, that is awesome. So here's what God's doing. He's restoring some things. And I think the first thing he is here to restore is a marriage. He's going to work on this marriage. So translators are really careful with verse 12. I will not be so careful. This is what it says. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out, literally there, worthless. The Hebrew word for worn out is worthless. I'm worthless. My Lord, this is Abraham, is old. I'm worthless. Abraham is worse. He's ancient. Am I to have pleasure? The word pleasure there, it's sex. Okay, I'm worthless. My old man is really old. We're not having sex. Come on, right? And so she scoffs, laughs at this promise of God. So then God's like, hey, Abram, Abraham, why did your wife laugh at me? Have you ever been embarrassed by your spouse? No need to raise your hands, right? I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, Abram's just like, he doesn't say a thing. He's like, obviously you can read minds right now. So you know what I'm thinking. And this is what I'm thinking. I mean, come on, I can't control that woman. She's crazy. You should know you created her. I mean, give me a break, right? Oh, it's so awkward. It's such an awesome story. So God now begins to kind of work on this, right? He has a purpose to this text. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is not random stories that people thought, hey, this would be kind of cool to throw together. The Bible is a narrative that's always moving towards a goal. So you need to always stop when you read a text and be like, what's the purpose? What is the goal of this passage? What is God trying to accomplish right here, right? What's he trying to accomplish? He says to these two, hey, you're gonna have a son. You guys are gonna have a son. What do they need to do in order to have a son? Get busy, right? You guys gotta get busy here because in order for you to have a son, you gotta have sex again. So Sarah is saying this, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. My husband hasn't touched me for years. I don't have sex anymore. And I don't know why, but maybe, maybe there was some brokenness in their marriage. Maybe it was chapter 16. 
If you remember that chapter, Sarah calls down God's judgment on Abraham. It's not pretty. Sarah wanted, I believe, Abraham to fight for her, and he did not. He succumbed and had the the relationship with Hagar, and Ishmael comes out of it. So maybe there's that kind of collateral damage still just kind of had separated them, and they're distant now. Maybe Abraham was so disappointed in the way that Sarah had treated Hagar and the way that things had gone out that maybe Abraham was like, oh, I'm just disappointed in you. Maybe it was the fact that she couldn't have kids. Abraham was disappointed in that. I don't know. Maybe Sarah, who says of herself, I'm worthless, was actually depressed and not wanting any of Abraham's advances, rebuffing him. I don't know, but they're not having sex anymore. And so God here, and I say this in the most respectful way, God is acting like Cupid. He's saying, I got this promise for you, but in order for you to get to this promise, you gotta do something over here. I'm gonna change your marriage. In order for you to get the promise, there has to be intimacy again. You have to start li- stop living like roommates and start laughing like lovers again, okay? So Sarah, I'm gonna give you hope. Hope for a son, but in order to get that son, honey, you gotta do something, right? That's what's happening here. It's God is leveraging this promise to restore joy and laughter to a marriage that had grown distant and probably broken. I love that. God's in the business of restoration. One of the coolest things I get to do is to sit with a couple that are sometimes like Abraham and Sarah, no intimacy, no love, arms crossed, angry at each other, just like, oh, that's such a bummer. And you get to process through and work through and see God restore joy and laughter and fun and pleasure to a marriage. There's nothing better in the world because God's in that business. So here you see God doing something But in order to get that something, he's gonna change a marriage. Do you know that? Maybe your marriage is dry. Maybe it's pleasureless. Maybe it's a bummer. God's in the business of repairing those kind of marriages. That's what he's doing right here. He's in that business. I tell people this very often in counseling. I say, it's great to read books. Those are awesome. Great to get counsel. Please do that. But ultimately... That book was written about a spouse that wasn't yours. It was written from a perspective that can be helpful, but it's not your wife, it's not your husband. You have this distinct advantage. You can go directly to his, to her maker, Psalm 139. The one that put him together, the one that put her together, that knows them intimately, and you can pray and walk and you just obey what God tells you and watch joy and pleasure be flowing back into your marriage. That's the first thing God restores is a marriage. The second thing God's restore, God restores is the value to a woman. Look again at verse 12. Sarah, here's this promise of God, scoffs at it. Pfft, yeah, right. And she says this about herself. After I am worn out, literally, I am worthless. My Husband is old, should I have pleasure, right? Sarah sees herself as having no value. The reason, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, 4,000 years ago, a woman had one value to culture. What was that value? Produce babies. That was it. She, according to culture, 
is worthless. So she's heard this from culture enough. You should have babies. You should have babies. Where's your baby? I don't have any babies. That now, because she does not have babies, she's believed what culture has told her. And she says, well, I guess I'm just worthless. And so we can always, and I said this three weeks ago, we can always look back at ancient cultures and be like, man, that's so oppressive. You know, how could they do that? Traditional cultures are so oppressive to women. They put them in that kind of a box. And, and if you don't have kids, you're not worth anything. And we can do that. And there's some truth to that. But we always need to look at our own culture and say, do we do the same thing to women today? Does culture tell women you have to be this certain thing in order to have value? Oh, Absolutely. It's preached from magazine covers. It's preached from social media. You need to look like this. You need to act like this. You need to be this in order to have value. And there's a lot of women that hear that cultural message shared with him over and over and over that they feel a lot like Sarah. Well, then I'm worthless. And if culture says this is it, I don't have it. So I'm worthless. And I've talked to young ladies and they're like, well, you know, at least back in that day, you know, there's arranged marriages. At least I can marry whoever I want. I always correct them. No, you can't marry whoever you want. You can marry whoever you can attract. And that puts a lot of pressure on you. And those ancient cultures and traditional cultures to this day don't have diet problems, bulimia and anorexia. They didn't have those issues because there's a different thing. So yeah, they're not perfect, but neither are we. We gotta be really careful because we put a lot of that kind of same pressure on women. And women feel this kind of cultural, oh, I'm valueless. Could be the mistakes she's made in life that's made her feel like she's valueless. I meet Sarah's all the time. In fact, I met one a week ago on Sunday. So we had a kind of a busy Sunday. I did service, then had a graduation party. Then we went to the Hadamas home group. They had a barbecue for the staff. We went there, it was awesome. Had a great time, beautiful, great people. Left there, packed up my crew, got onto, they're in Rogue River. So we got onto Interstate 5, drove back into Grants Pass, turn on the parkway, and then I turn on Agnes and where Applebee's is and the Dutch Bros stand is, and I pull on there and there's a car in the middle of the road, door open, engine running, and there's a lady now on the sidewalk kind of walking away. And so I put my detective skills on and I'm like, this is not correct. <laughs> Something is amiss here. So I pulled up behind and I put my hazards on and I just kind of rolled down my window. I said, hey ma'am, um, is everything okay? She yells at me and says, get away from me, don't hurt me, and just starts kind of running. And so my wife, nicest person in the world, she's like, hey, honey, let me go handle this one. I said, you please do. I will not argue with you. Go ahead, sweetie. So she gets out, tries to help the gal. She runs even faster, starts to run up onto the parkway, like heading toward Interstate 5. So then I'm a little concerned, and you hear her just kind of yelling and screaming, and she's, she's, not, all, she's not doing well. So I think, oh man, if she heads up onto the interstate, it's going to be really bad. So she's like 21 years old, maybe 22 years old. So I start kind of going after her. Now I'm not hurrying because I don't want to freak her out. So I get over kind of near the Dutch Bros stand. She sees me, shrieks, runs down to the Dutch Bros stand, pointing at me saying, help me, save me. He's trying to hurt me. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, oh goodness, what are they going to think about me? So the gal, the barista kind of pokes her head and goes, hi, Pastor Matt. I'm like, whoo, Okay. All right, come here, honey. Can we get away from the, you know, you're scaring everybody now. Can you please come over here? So she, I finally kind of coax her away from Dutch Bros. And then she walks over and sits down the whole time. She's just like, ah, oh, just, you know, I got to get be taken to a mental hospital. I'm like, no problem. We'll take you there, sweetie. We'll do whatever we need to do, you know? And she's carrying out her body just like, she's tormented. What's the way it's tormented. And really just like, oh, I made mistakes. I've blown up. I'm just, and then 
I get her to sit down and I'm not getting closer because I'm a little like, you know, I don't want to scare her away again. I'm just kind of kneeled down and, and I'm trying to talk with her and calm her down. And then there's like this moment, it's hard to explain, but it's like everything just froze, just went, and she stopped like being all, and she just looked at me with these piercing blue eyes. And she said, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Should I just kill myself? And my heart broke, broke. And I have one bullet at that point, and it's Jesus. No, no, you have value because of Jesus. No, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. No, Jesus can restore what's been broken. No, no, and then the police showed up. There's a lot of Sarahs in the world because of culture, because of mistakes, because of failures that they feel just like this Sarah in our, in our Bible. I'm worthless. I don't deserve pleasure. I don't deserve it. So what does God do here? What does God do to this lady who has scoffed at his promise and has said about herself, I'm worthless, I don't deserve any pleasure. What does God do? Does God say, you miserable speck of a human. How dare you laugh at I, creator and sustainer of the universe. Hell for you. No. It's fascinating what God does. Listen to what God says. It's verse 13. Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, quote, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? End quote. Let me ask you a question. Is that what Sarah said? No. I'll read you what Sarah says. Verse 12. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? God says, quoting her, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? What does God do there? God sanitizes and cleanses and pulls out all the junk that Sarah was saying about herself and God will not repeat it back to her. What God is saying there is real simple. That's not how I see you. I don't see you as worn out, undeserving of pleasure. That is not how I see you. And I refuse to even repeat the garbage back to you. No, it's awesome. God acts so gentle here, so kind, so loving. And then he says, verse 14b, and you will be a mother. Culture says, this is what gives you value. I'm going to give you that value. I'm going to give it to you. You will not be worthless anymore. You will have value because I'm going to give it to you. How awesome is that? How gentle is God here? Right? Even when Sarah lies to him, God replies end of verse 15, no, sweetie, you did laugh, right? Very kind, very gentle, right? The whole thing is God just being unbelievably good to this woman that feels worthless and valueless because there's a lot of Sarahs today that needs to hear that same message. God does not see you the way you see yourself. He cleanses and sanctifies. There's two texts I wanna read you if you feel like Sarah. Because one of these texts I know is about Sarah because Galatians quotes it. Paul quotes it about, absolutely about Sarah. And the other one just goes on its heels. This one is Isaiah 54. 
I use these two texts with people that feel like Sarah's. I'm worthless, I'm valueless, I deserve no pleasure. Because listen, those are lies of Satan. Those are satanic lies. That's what those are. It takes no faith to believe uh, the lies of the enemy. None whatsoever. It takes faith to say, no, I'm believing God's word. So listen to what this text says, and it's directly towards Sarah. Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says Yahweh. What's his promise there? You're gonna have kids. So verse two, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. What's verse two saying? Do a home remodel because kids are coming. You're gonna need more rooms, put on an addition because kids are coming. That's what it's saying right there. Get ready for this, the bigger, the better. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you, this is the key, will forget the shame of your youth. I have that underlined in one of my Bibles. You will forget the shame of your youth. Those things that Satan brings back to your memory that make you feel ashamed and worthless like Sarah, God says, I will make you forget them. Your tent will be so big. The blessings will be so great. You'll forget them. Hmm. And the reproach of your widowhood will will be remembered no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For Yahweh has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Phenomenal passage. And then Isaiah 61, you're probably more familiar with this one. I'll just read it again. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor, 2017, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he may be glorified. What glorifies Yahweh? It tells us comfort to those who mourn, beauty for ashes, oil of gladness for mourning, praise for faint spirit. That's what brings glory to God, to restore to the right function and purpose. People have been broken and hurt and bruised. That brings glory to God, all right? So then the key, instead of your shame, verse seven, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in the land, they shall possess a double portion and they shall have everlasting joy. 
Sarah. You don't believe you can have pleasure, Sarah. You don't believe that you have any value, I'm gonna restore, I'm gonna give you double, and I'm gonna give you everlasting joy, and Isaac, that brings you laughter and joy. This is what God says. Chapter 18 is revealing to us God's restoration nature. God wants to restore, and that's good news. Marriages, value. I have a quote by Bob Goff who wrote a great book, Love Does. If you want to read a fascinating book, read that one. It will challenge you. You will want to go out and do great things for God, which is always good. But he says this. It's a quote that I have written down. He says this. It seems to me, and I'm quoting, it seems to me that God uses broken people more. It may be that broken people have more pieces for God to work with. I love that. It seems to me that God uses broken people more often. And it may be that there are more pieces for God to use. I love that. It's Sarah right here. You're broken. You feel valueless. Listen, I'm gonna give you double for your shame. You're gonna have everlasting joy. How cool is that? So God restores a marriage. He restores value to a woman who felt valueless. And then lastly, he restores wonder. Look at verse 14. If you have a different translation than the ESV, I'm gonna ask you a question about how your Bible translates this. But the ESV says this, is anything too hard for Yahweh? Does anyone have anything different there? No? Difficult, anything other than hard or difficult? Okay, they're wrong. The word here, hard, if you have a notation Bible, I have a note by it. The word hard there is the Hebrew word pala. It's used in another spot correctly. It's used in Isaiah 9 verse 6, that Christmas text. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, right? And he, the government's going to be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Pala Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Right? No translation ever translates that. And his name shall be called Difficult Counselor. You're going to love meeting with him. He's hard, man. No. Why do they do it here? I have no idea. The word pala means wonderful or extraordinary. It does not mean hard or difficult. For some reason, every translator feels like that's the wrong thing to do with that text. I think they're absolutely wrong. I see in my mind's eye, God sitting there and Abraham is just kind of like, you know, hands on his head, just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that it went this way. Man, we're having a great meal and then that, oh, she laughed at him and then she lied to him. Oh, this is terrible, right? And, and Sarah's just kind of over there like looking like a kid who just got caught with her hand in the cookie jar, like, oh man. And then God says this with a twinkle in his eye. Hey, is anything too wonderful for me? Is anything too wonderful for me? Don't you know who I am? I'm the God of wonder. I'm the God that's bringing wonder back into your life. Ah, that's what he's saying. He's not saying, look how great I am, look how strong I am. He's saying, no, I want you to wonder again. I want you to wonder again. Because you're 90 and you're 99 and you don't wonder anymore. Have you noticed that? That the older you get, the less you wonder. Have you noticed that? Take a four-year-old to the zoo. Do they wonder? 
Where's the bear? Where's the lion? Right? I want to pet him. Take a 15-year-old to the zoo. Where's the mall? I want to go shopping. Take a 40-year-old to the zoo. Where's the bench? I want to sit down. Right? There's just a loss of wonder. I'm not like, oh, bear, yeah! Right? There's not that anymore. And it's a bummer. God here is saying to these two, wonder again. Let wonder capture your heart again. I'm a God that likes wonder. Is anything too wonderful for me? I want to live a wonderful life. And you've got to fight it. You've got to fight the tendency to stop wondering. So I have a quote by G.K. Chesterton that I'll just pull out and I'll read it every once in a while. And maybe I really like this quote because of the circumstances that happened right before I read it. So here's what happened to me. I'm uh, shopping with my son, Elijah John. He was three and a half years old. We're at Walmart. And then all of a sudden he has to go to the bathroom. So Walmart's massive. It like takes a GPS and a map and like a camelback to make it to the bathroom. And so I'm like, okay, let's go. Cause I don't want something wonderful to happen to Elijah John on the way there. So I'm like, let's go bud. So we get to the bathroom and I have like one rule. I take my kids to the bathroom in Walmart and it's this. Don't touch anything. It does not matter. I don't care if it's shiny or it's cool. Don't, I don't care if there's a hundred dollar bill on the ground. Don't touch it, right? Just don't touch anything. And it's impossible. You got to touch everything. And then he has a rule for me at that time. And it was, he had to flush the toilet. And after he'd done his business, he had to be the one that kind of watched it like, yeah, right? Well, in Walmart, the toilets are different than our toilets. They're like those super powerful ones. So he gets off and he flushes it and he's just like, whoa, yeah. And he looked at me and goes, dad, can I do it again? And for some reason, I don't know why I did this. I'm like, no, man, can't do it again. And like, as I'm walking out with him, I'm, I thought to myself, why? Why didn't I let him flush the toilet again? That's the stupidest thing I've ever said no to, right? We're not in a drought, it's the middle of winter. Flush the toilet twice, who cares? But for some reason, I've become like a buddy-duddy. And then I read this. Okay, quote, G.K. Chesterton. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And a grown-up does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. I love that quote. The eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than us. God here is saying to a 99-year-old, and a 90-year-old, wonder again. 
be full of wonder again. Wonder at the world. I think Christians should be a group of people that are constantly full of wonder, right? Wonder just at your salvation. You should be just amazed that you're saved, right? Religious people, here's a religious person. They feel like they deserve to be saved. Well, yeah, of course I'm saved. God looked down from heaven, saw me. He's like, dude, I got to get you on my team, man. What will it take? The death of my son. Okay, done for you, right? That's, that, but a Christian, someone's like, you're a Christian? Yeah, I can't believe it either, man. I cannot believe I'm saved. Like, it's crazy. I don't even know what to think, man. God saved me. Crazy. Totally. If you knew what I was thinking about you right now, you would run from me. That's how bad I am. And I'm saved. I don't know, man. Right? Every morning we should wake up with that thought. Oh, God saved me. Oh my goodness. I don't know why. Right? We should be full of wonder. It should grip our lives. We should live in that. Is anything too wonderful for God? No. That's this text. So flush the toilet twice in Walmart. I don't care. (laughs) Do it, man. Wonder. This chapter, the first 15 verses, it does not in any way push the story forward. Right? This is all information we already know. We already know they're going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac and all this stuff, right? We know that from chapter 17 and 15 and 12. This little section right here, God coming and having a meal with Abraham, talking with Sarah, does nothing to further God's keeping of his covenant in chapter 12, which has been the major part of the rest of the narrative. Protecting that promise, you know, making it come to pass. You just have this kind of crazy story right here. Like, why is this in there? You know why it's in there? Because there are two people on the outside. Sarah, who feels worthless. And the rest of this chapter, Lot, who's worldly. And God is coming saying, I'm going to restore you back to your right spot, back to shalom, back to where you belong, back to function. That's what this whole chapter is. It's unbelievable to me. It's God saying, you guys matter so much to me. Abraham, you already know all this stuff. I've already talked to you about it. That's why the first question Yahweh asks, where's Sarah? Because this is about her right now. It's about me working with her, counseling her, wooing her, bringing her, giving her wonder again, giving her hope again, giving her a son again. This is about Sarah right here because she feels worthless and I'm coming to restore her. It's brilliant. And then the rest is intercession for Lot, who's so worldly, he has to literally be physically jerked out of Sodom. I'm saving him too. This is an amazing, an amazing understanding of the God that we serve, that he loves to restore. We talk a lot about redemption and redemption really matters. Redemption is kind of purchasing out of what we were in. But the best part, let's say you buy an old junky car. What's the best part of buying that old junky car? Restoration, putting it back to shalom to it the right way that it looks. That's the best part of it. And so that's what God's saying right here. I'm here to restore, to bring back marriages that have been pleasureless, to bring back value to people who have lost it, to bring back wonder to those who have grown old and fuddy-duddy. I'm coming to do that. It's brilliant. And so we get to take communion today. And communion is this, we are partaking in the God of restoration, that we eat and we drink of him. And there's a wondering communion. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, right? Debate for 2,000 years. What does that mean? 
I don't know. But man, I wonder about it. Wow. I know this much. It means I'm partaking in him. I'm partaking in the God of restoration. And so maybe your marriage is loveless. Maybe your value feels worthless. Maybe you're depressed and suicidal like that young lady I met on the road. Listen to me. As you partake, as you partake in the broken body of God the Son, as you drink of his spent blood, you have to know how much God values you. He gave his absolute best for you. He gives you value. Maybe you've lost wonder as you partake, say, God, restore to me infancy, an eternal appetite of infancy that I wake up just marveling that I'm saved at the sunrise, marveling at the beauty that I have wonder again. And God will do those things. But maybe today you need a rocket boost. So here's what we're going to offer. Galatians 6 says this, that we can come alongside people when they're in bad shape and that we get to walk and pray and talk and help to restore them back to function. So after you take communion and after service is dismissed, there'll be a group of us over here, pastors, community group leaders, Titus two ladies, women's fellowship ladies, leadership people will be over there. Deacons, we'd want to pray for you because sometimes that's what we need. We need the rocket boost of someone else's prayers in our seating for us, which is the entire second section of chapter 18. Abraham interceding for Lot and it works and he's pulled out of that place. Let us do that for you.